0: Welcome to Iskand of Silicon Valley. Thank you so much for coming here on a Sunday. Great to see you all. And today we'll be continuing our discussion, discussion about our relationship with the mind. We may not even notice the mind, except for we at intervals might feel that we're overwhelmed or We might feel anxious or happy and be unaware of how we're being affected by our internal environment. We talked last week about how the mind is the sense within. And we also discussed how we've been with the mind that we have now since a time immemorial according to the Srimad Bhagavatam in which Krishna talks about how we bring our minds with us from one gross material body to the next, and we have the impressions stored inside. It's not dissimilar from what modern psychologists have also spoken about in the subconscious mind and how it affects us. And we may not be aware of why we have certain predispositions in our life and fears and so forth, but according to the Srimad Bhagavatam, there is a science behind it. And one of the main purposes of the process of yoga, as Krishna describes it in Bhagavad Gita, is to become sama or even-minded, even though we're in a changing environment And even though we may face various obstacles in life, to be able to steady the mind is extremely useful. What to speak of how necessary it is to notice our existential situation and be able to find a remedy, or at least even understand that a remedy is needed. organization called the International Society for Krishna Consciousness was founded by His Divine Grace A.C. Paktivedanta Swami Prabhupada who came to the West with the desire to make sure that the culture of knowledge coming from the Srimad Bhagavatam and the Bhagavad Gita was available to people all over the West, Western world. Of course, he didn't stop there. And it's a rather remarkable story that he came without any support and that he was able to successfully spread the culture of Krishna consciousness by establishing centers all over the world on every continent and also by publishing and distributing millions of books within a short amount of time. It's actually amazing that's from 1965 up to 1977, that he wrote and uh, published about 80 books. And they were sold in the millions in many different languages. So uh, his intention was to offer places where people could come after reading the books and then find a practical way to take up the spiritual tenets of Krishna consciousness so that they could take them home and use them in their daily lives. Not that everybody has to move into an ashram to be successful, but wherever one goes, if one can adhere to a few basic simple principles and maybe slight adjustments in attitudes and maybe a couple of tweaks of one's habits, then anyone can start to notice that I I feel happier by doing this, and that could be encouraging. So I first offer my respects to the founder, Acharya, who's also my spiritual master, his Divine Grace, A.C. Bhaktivedanta, Swami Prabhupada, and all the previous spiritual teachers through whom the teachings of Krishna consciousness have been passed down in a so-called disciplic succession and to all of you who are on the spiritual path, Hari Krishna. Before we, uh, before I go into mentioning a, f- a few practical points about the mind, and as I mentioned last week, this is a series that started off with a short vignette that I wrote about boxing with the mind, because one of the practices that we do regularly in the Krishna Consciousness movement is to uh, meditate by chanting a mantra. And this process of mantra meditation is called japa. One can initiate the process oneself by just chanting the mantra out loud and listening to it, or chanting it softly, sitting somewhere listening, or one can pace. And the philosophy behind it is the, the name of Krishna is non different from Krishna, and By listening, one will develop a clarity of consciousness and perhaps other kinds of benefits that become self-apparent when chanting. And even while doing that and taking up the spiritual practice, we may notice that the mind becomes uh, either helpful to us or not. And so we'll talk about this boxing with the mind. And I don't mean it to sound so combative, but it could be a friendly boxing match. So first we'll start by trying the chanting process to see how it works for us by uh, doing kirtan. And kirtan is the singing congregationally of, of the mantra, Hare Krishna mantra, which has three words, Hare, Krishna, and Rama. They're all names for the Supreme Personality of Godhead. And the philosophy is that they're non-different from Him. And in the combination, in combination with, with the mantra, which goes, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Rama Hare Hare. We're actually prayerfully asking to be connected to the Supreme in service. Because once we have that kind of service, then it's very absorbing and naturally satisfying. We all live in the same world. But every single one of us see it differently. Because we're seeing it through the lens of our minds. So the word perception actually has a meaning of things that we pick up, that we grab onto. What we perceive is what we take from the environment. Although we're looking at the same environment, one person picks up the fact that something's red, somebody else thinks something's blue. People see things as negatively or positively according to the way they are. The mind is an instrument, and it has to be tuned. So the process of yoga, is bringing the mind into tune with the supreme and when we're able to do this then the mind becomes our friend we have when it's in tune discrimination called vivek we can make good decisions and know what's good and what's bad for us when the mind's not in proper order then we may make bad decisions and think they're good or we may be very uncertain or we also may know that something's good and it may not be able to do it so coming to spiritual strength has a lot to do with cleansing the mind and Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu who is the foremost teacher of bhakti yoga in the world from whom this whole line of teachings that were engaged in here in a practical sense, has been passed down from, who is Krishna's most recent incarnation in the world, over 500 years ago, who showed by example how to live a life in tune with the Supreme. So one of the ways that we find from the Bhagavad Gita and from Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's teachings of what he said was "cheto darpana marginam." You have to clean the mind. He compared it to a mirror and said, "You can't see yourself clearly in a mirror that's dusty or dirty or completely. It can be completely obscured as well." And this is this phenomena of there being different st- uh, degrees of clarity within the mind. Is explained by Krishna in the Bhagavad Gita to have everything to do with the way our mind, which is a neutral instrument, is affected by the three modalities of the world. So the three modalities are named by Krishna as sattva, rajas, and tamas. Sattva is a mode of clarity. When the mind is in this state, then we see the world the way it is and we see ourselves the way we are. Clear vision. When it's in rajas, the passionate mode, then it's smoky. We know something's there, we just can't tell exactly what it is. And when the mind is in tamas, which is the lowest mode, we're in darkness, we can't see anything at all. It's complete darkness. So fortunately, there's a, there are ways in which we can remedy this, and that's the whole point of this class. First of all, in the Gita, Krishna recommends that we associate ourselves with practices that induce sattva or clarity and goodness. This is also one of the topics in the Srimad Bhagavatam, which is a quintessential book on bhakti yoga. and In it, uh, Krishna, in speaking to his devotee, Uddhava, devotes a whole chapter to it. I'm going to read a couple of verses from it, which will give an idea about the importance of culturing sattva. This is from the 11th Canto. I won't tell you which verse, because then we won't be able to see the Zoom people. But you might figure it out anyway. When consciousness becomes clear and the senses are detached from matter, one experiences fearlessness within the material body and detachment from the material mind. You should understand this situation to be the predominance of the mode of goodness in which one has the opportunity to realize me. So Krishna is speaking again, and he's the supreme. He's also within everyone's heart besides being a teacher who's sitting talking to Uddhava. You should discern the mode of passion by its symptoms, the distortion of the intelligence because of too much activity, the inability of perceiving senses to disentangle themselves from mundane objects. I'll read that again because I emphasized the words wrong and I think I obscured the meaning. Do over. You should discern the mode of passion by its symptoms, the distortion of the intelligence because of too much activity, the inability of the perceiving senses to disentangle themselves from mundane objects, an unhealthy condition of the working physical organs and the unsteady perplexity of the mind. What's that mode? Yeah. When one's higher awareness fails and finally disappears, and one is thus unable to concentrate his attention, his mind is ruined and manifests ignorance and depression. You should understand this situation to be the predominance of the mode of ignorance. With the increase of the mode of goodness, the strength of the demigods similarly increases. When passion increases, the demoniac becomes strong, And with the rise of ignorance, O Uddhava, the strength of the most wicked increases. It should be understood that means that everyone who is in these modes becomes empowered by them more and more when when the modes are present. And Krishna describes in the Bhagavad Gita about how these modes are shifting constantly in our lives. Even if you're in the most idyllic, uh, uh, situation, sattva-gun, it can suddenly shift at a part of the day or month or year, or an era can change. And then you'll notice that we've moved more into rajas or tamas or sattva, and that becomes palpable. But he said it's constantly shifting, and those that have uh, acquired those modes become empowered by, at those particular times by those modes. Finally, it should be understood that alert wakefulness comes from the mode of goodness. Sleep with dreaming from the mode of passion and dream, excuse me, and deep dreamless sleep from the mode of ignorance. I'll read it again. It should be understood that alert wakefulness comes from the mode of goodness. Sleep with dreaming from the mode of passion and, sl- and deep dreamless sleep from the mode of ignorance. The fourth state of consciousness pervades these three and is transcendental. So there's a little hint there at the end that there is a kind of consciousness that it, that is beyond the mixture of the modes. As I described, they're always mixing. And so even when one's said to be in the mode of goodness or sattva in this world, there's always a tinge of something else because it's mixing together. But there is a process through which one comes to a kind of state of consciousness that's in goodness with no effect from any of the lower modes. And that's a different kind of consciousness called shuddha-sattva, or purified goodness. And that's also called transcendental consciousness. And that's one of the topics of the Bhagavad Gita, how to get to that kind of consciousness, because consciousness is everything. So there are various habits that... Uh, one might develop in uh, one's life in order to culture uh, sattvagun. And uh, many of them are mentioned in the Bhagavad Gita, or some of them are mentioned in the Bhagavad Gita and other uh, books of knowledge that we can take up. And I'll go into a few of those very practical ones in just a moment, if that's okay. Okay. The next point is that... um, In the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna recommends sama, or equanimity. Could you look up the word, please, equanimity? Obviously, it means some kind of balance, equal, equal vision, not becoming disturbed by the ways of the world. And one of the main ways that Krishna describes it in the Bhagavad Gita, or recommends it, or how to develop SAMA, or this equanimity, which means we'll need a plethora of microphones, both in the research department and also for the general audience, because we may have some interaction at some point. One, two, three, four. Does that qualify as a plethora? It does? I don't even know what a plethora is. Okay, what is it? Equanimity. Equanimity is a noun. Mental calmness, composure, and evenness of temper, especially in a difficult situation. Could you say that one more time, please? Yes. Equanimity is a noun. It means mental calmness, composure, and evenness of temper, especially in a difficult situation. One more time. And listen very carefully. I'm going to listen. I'm actually telling myself to listen. You already heard it. Go ahead one more time. Equanimity, a noun, which means mental calmness, composure, and evenness of temper, especially in a difficult situation. That sounds pretty good, right? (laughs) Okay. Actually, when we're presenting the Bhagavad Gita, we could just read that definition, and say, that's what this book is about. Somebody volunteer to try it? Okay, thank you. Let us know how it works. So, one of the ways that Krishna recommends that we we develop Sama is in our work. First of all, yoga is a strategy for happiness. Its core element is sama or evenness of mind. And Non-attachment to the result of one's work is one of the key processes of developing some. So I have a few questions for you, if you don't mind. Nobody minds? Questions can be provocative. Let me see if these are. If you remain anonymous when you give, is there any reward? Yes? Okay. somebody said yes? Yes. Okay, let's. Let's get a sample, we, we want to hear the reasoning behind it. Is there any reasoning behind it? If you give something anonymously, like nobody knows who gave it, is there any reward? Go ahead, expound. Yes, because um, the pureness of not anyone knowing it really makes you have nothing, in, you really don't receive anything in return, so it just came out of the goodness of So why of should it. I do it then? What do I get? What's the reward? You feel fulfilled that you. Hope Ooh, you feel fulfilled. That's a. I think we're on to something here. Okay, were you going to say one? I'll read the question again. If you remain anonymous when you give, is there any reward? Yes, uh, you feel happiness in your you heart. You feel happiness. Paramatma uh, Krishna this is, I think we just made a breakthrough right here in Silicon Valley. Yes, Kameshri has something too. The question on the floor is, if you remain anonymous when you give, is there any reward? Yes, um, the reward can be the happiness of person who received the gift. I keep hearing the word happiness and peace. <laughs> That's not nothing. That's a big deal, okay. Uh, How about this question? Am I provoking you, is this too heavy? What if you do something that gets a highly acclaimed result but you cheated to get there? All I'm asking for is just a brief comment. What if you do something that gets highly acclaimed result, a highly acclaimed result, but you cheated to get there. What does that, what's the result in that? Yes. Give us some sage wisdom. Um, So, others might be proud of you, like those near you, those who know you, might be proud of you, but you won't be proud of yourself. Ooh, that hurts. Thank you. (laughs) Pran. we see online, Pran is there available. What do you think? Well, if karma always reaches its goal, then eventually you'll be blamed for something that you didn't do to balance it out. You take credit for something you didn't do. Very astute observation. That if you take credit for something you didn't do, then later on you'll get blamed for something you didn't do also. Um, so far, I haven't heard anybody stand up for this. Does anyone want to make a make a stand and say, "Yeah, cheating is good"? makes you feel really good about yourself? No. (laughs) Thank you. makes life easier. Okay. Um, Those are two questions to keep in mind when we go into this topic of Sama, and we can also call it non-reward-seeking action. So, in the realm of non-reward-seeking action, one might consider, and this is one of the Broadly presented perspectives given in the Shrimad Bhagavatam, and I can give evidence if you wish. But its uh, summation is in the sentence, I'm not dependent on matter for happiness. I'm not dependent on matter for happiness. There's an example that Narada Muni mentions that if uh, you have a human life, You should utilize it for spiritual pursuits. Don't worry about the material side because, as Ekachaka Pran said, that will come of its own accord. And there's ways in which in the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna says that if you accumulate material things, you become attached to them, then you'll get the opposite result you're looking for if you were looking for happiness. That was your mood and trying to enjoy them because they um, tend to become burdensome after some time, unless you have the right attitude when you're interacting with them. And that's the point of this, is that everything in the world is good, as long as you use it in the right context. In fact, everything requires context. Every object is uh, judged according to context, isn't it? For instance, if you say the word good, it seems like a good word, right? But if you say it to you're uh, somebody who loves you, and you say, good, bye. <laughs> Juxtaposed with that word, it doesn't sound so nice. Because like, wait a minute, where are you going? <laughs> Goodbye. So everything has its context. And when somebody sees the world as paraphernalia, everything in it, the abundant variety, and very useful kinds of technologies that are uh, um, prevalent as items to be used in service, then this is is the process that Krishna speaks about um, throughout the Bhagavad Gita, which is to work without expecting a result. Don't consider yourself to be the owner of the result of the work, also don't stop working. And uh, consider yourself to be an instrument. So this is the kind of sama. And he says that there are many uh, rewards from doing this. One of them is that the, the mind starts to become purified in that we notice when we work without seeking a reward from the work, we're not trying to control or enjoy it, that we feel happy, just as you all mentioned. You do work, even if it's anonymous, you feel happy. And we start to notice this more and more that actually I'm not dependent on matter. I'm not dependent on the result to be happy. I don't have to hold on to things and control them. But I do have to do my duty. I do have to work in the world. So this is Sama, and it's one of the ways to purify the mind. So one can start simply by giving away some of the fruits that one gets from working and start to notice, how do I feel? And it seems to me to be a self-evident truth that we feel happy when we give the fruits of the work away because so far everybody pretty much spontaneously said they feel happier or that in that hypothetical situation we mentioned that There'd be kind of peace and happiness that you'd get from that, right? Okay, so that's one of the ways in which Krishna describes the way to purify the mind is to continue to do the work that you're doing in your world in, in the world, because it's it's your occupation. It was given to you by God. You have to do it in order to survive anyway, right? But do it with a different mindset, and that is don't claim proprietorship over the result doesn't mean you can't live and use all the things, but think of them differently, as they don't belong to me. I'm using them in service. So this is a kind of purifying uh, process for the mind. And uh, another sentence, and then I'll take a couple of reflections, that sums up this idea of sama and working without desiring fruit of results, is care more about how you do than what you do or what you get as a result of doing. Care more about how you do it than what you do or what you get as a result. That's more important. So I'll just take a couple of reflections or questions before I go into the next parts. Yes. Uh, Hare Krishna Maharaj, I wanted to request if you could elaborate more upon uh, thing of We should care more about how we do things than what we do for instance if you cheat on your sat and you get what's the top score 1600 you get 1600 but you cheated you're going to feel different about it because it's it's how you did it not what you got everyone will say 1600 you got 1600 you're a great person you're very smart and you'll be thinking actually I cheated so you, you won't be able to assimilate any of the praise that won't encourage you you'll simply be you'll, you'll feel unworthy that's one example and if we as we're working we do things that are harmful to other people as an example. We may get a good result or what we consider to be a lucrative result, but if we harmed others in the process, then there's a way that we'll suffer the reaction. So we have to be careful about how we're doing the work. Are we harming others while we're doing it? Unnecessarily? I mean, there is some harm just walking around the world, and Bhagavad Gita accounts for that. So there's, Krishna says there's Just as there's smoke in fire. Fire's perfect, but not so much because there's smoke. So he says also in our occupation, there's always some little fault, but you shouldn't give up doing your work because there's a little fault here or there. But at the same time, you should be aware that when you're working, if you're not careful and to do it in the right consciousness, and you do things that are harmful to other people as an example i might say let me be a philanthropist philanthropist and i'll go out and i'll feed people but then in the in in order to accomplish that let's just say i start a chicken farm and i didn't even want to bring this up it's it sounds too horrible but let's just say we we have to kill other animals wholesale in order to feed people What's the ultimate gain from that? You, you committed some kind of violence to other living entities unnecessarily, and then you fed somebody else. So th- these are a couple of examples. Thank you. Hi, Krishna Prabhu. I was just thinking about the cheating part that you were mentioning. So cheating is when you should not cheat if it's for your own sense gratification. But then as a service to Krishna, uh, it's yeah, not Yeah, be careful. You- no, my question also is because, like, be careful Sanatana, about getting angry for Krishna too. <laughs> because Sanatana Goswami would tell his, uh, uh, the king that he is actually sick and he was not really sick so he was kind of cheating. Yeah, you could try that one on John me. <laughs> yeah, so we do that all the time. So I was just yeah. wondering when you said cheating. Yeah, but still be careful because it, there's a tendency in Yukta Vairagya and also in uh, uh, thinking in these ways that you can go way off the rails. And, you know, people, like, I'm a robber for Krishna. It's his property anyway. I'm just taking it back. Are you laughing? It's not funny. It's happened before. I've seen it with my own eyes. So uh, you just have to be really careful. And I've noticed that devotees, those who are serious about Krishna consciousness, as Prabhupada points out in several places, they're perfect ladies and gentlemen. And so you'd want to see that in a a person who is sama, As they're careful, don't take it too far. Little thing here and there, and keep it to yourself. Yes. Thank you, Prabhu. Prabhu, I had a question. Uh, You mentioned earlier that um, when the different modes are prominent, um, when sattva is prominent, then the demigods thrive. And we also saw at the time of Hiranyaka Shipu's pastime that when at that time, the demons were thriving because the um, mode of passion was uh, prominent. So, in the current era we are in now, what do you think is prominent, and and how um, how devotees should be um, how devotees should be able to um, thrive in this situation? What do you think? What modes are you seeing mostly? Mostly we see passion and ignorance prominent. Passion and ignorance is, it's sort of uh, par for the course in Kali Yuga. So we have to keep ourselves uh, elevated in consciousness. We have to be careful because in Kali Yuga, uh, when passion and ignorance are prominent, then it's easier to get uh, swept away by it all. Because all you have to do is just interact with any part of the world. And you'll notice that those lower elements come into it and seem quite natural. So it's helpful to be uh, careful oneself. That's one of the ways that we have to interact with it. Just like um, one of our devotees is a doctor and he's been in the front lines, on the front lines of the pandemic since it started. And he hasn't um, been infected, even though he was in a COVID ward for the last two years. So I asked him about it, and he said, you know, he wears two masks and a shield over his eyes, (laughs) and he has an air purifier in the room. In fact, that's why we got that one. Lucky you're sitting next to it part. And (laughs) if you feel any purer today, that's why. It's supposed to filter the whole room, actually, to have a filter. And he was very careful. And because of that, he hasn't fallen sick. So Prabhupada also mentioned the same thing. He said." Be careful, because you should keep yourself just as you do when you're physically fit and you have your immune system strong. Then it's uh, a lot harder to fall fall sick. And so similarly, we have to keep ourselves in the higher modes of nature so we don't get uh, infected. At any time, actually, but especially nowadays. And I concur. I notice a lot of, of the effects of passion and ignorance So we should be uh, kind and try to uplift the environment. I saw a little video of Harinam Ruchi, the little party that goes around and does Harinam everywhere. It's just kind of nice. They go everywhere and chant Hare Krishna, in shops, on boardwalks. In every place they go, they're chanting. And you just notice that suddenly the environment gets purified by their presence. Okay, we'll just take two more, and then I have a few more points that I'd like to make. Thank you, Marat. And there's one up there, okay? Okay. Hare Krishna Maharaj, please accept my most humble obeisances. I really like the point when you said that uh, I'm not dependent on matter or results for my happiness. And uh, I was thinking about like, you know, um, it's always said that uh, you should not worry about the final destination, but the journey, how you took it and the how you did it. I really like that point because if you don't do it right, even if you achieve it, there's no happiness in it. Yeah. Operation was a success and the patient died. Ananya, is that you? Yes. Yeah, I thought it was. But with your mask, I could recognize you. I only see you on. Hi, Krishna. So Hare. then I know that um, all around us, there's passion and ignorance. So then how do we like stay away from these materialistic desires and these passion and ignorance? Best way is to uh, take time to chant Hare Krishna. Also eat uh, spiritual food. And good if you read a little bit every day from Bhagavad Gita or Srimad Bhagavatam, and definitely join the Youth Jam, (laughs) because we like you. Okay. All right, so Sama, Uh, working without uh, seeking a reward. You can try that out at home can try it out anywhere. That one's it is recommended. Oftentimes people say, don't try this at home. Yes, try it at home. Was there one online that I missed? Two. Okay. Go ahead. Hari Murli. Hari Krishna Maharaj. Hi, Krishna. One way you mentioned to achieve Sama is to give away the fruits of our work. Mm. And I wanted to ask, if we give away the fruits of our work, sometimes our mind has a tendency of not wanting to care anymore because we don't get the results after all. So how do we still care and still give away the fruits at the same time? Are you sure? Have you tried it? A little yeah. bit, yeah. Okay, because some people go the other way and they think, let me make more so that I can give more. Like I noticed some, some I won't mention any names, they're always giving, giving, They're thinking how to make more so they can give more. Um, well if you're giving the fruits of your work and then you feel non-motivated to work, is that what you're saying? We'll just yeah. balance it out so that you, could, you give to the point where you feel motivated to work and you can still give. Be balanced. One more online. He just okay, went. Okay, go ahead. Please accept my humble obeisance. This, uh, this is Yashoda Saldas. Um, Guru Maharaj, uh, you mentioned about the uh, judgment uh, you know, mentality of this material world. So I wanted to know. You know, ma- many times I feel like getting into judgment creates uh, kind of you know uh, reaction or uh, you know it makes me to uh, you know, puts me into different lines. So so uh, is it? Is it a you know, how to judge, or if in case we should not judge, then how we should deal with others? It's not judgment as much as it is discrimination. This is called vivek. And when you hear from Bhagavad Gita and Srimad Bhagavatam, and you develop some spiritual common sense by chanting Hare Krishna and seeing how the world works, you should use various forms of evidence to see what the nature of the world is. Shruti, Pratyaksha, Aitiyam, Anumanam, chatushpanam. So there's four types of evidence you can use. Krishna says, use them all to understand the nature of the world and then discriminate. What is a good decision and what is a bad decision of where to, where to apply one's energies in the world and where to give one's attention? That makes sense. So it's not a matter of judgment, but it's just discrimination. And there, there are ways to discriminate about how to associate with different types of people. If, if they're helpful to you, and you can be helpful to them, then, you, by all means, give your heart and soul. If, by uh, associating with certain types of people, uh, they become disturbed by your association, because be, uh, you may have a perspective that disturbs their minds, and they also disturb you, then the Shastra gives you full permission to be friendly but at a distance. That's discrimination, it's not judgment. It's practical. Is that okay? Thank you so much, Guru Mahārāj Krishna. Thank you. Good to hear your voice. And nice to see Jagannath Baladev and Subhadra. Okay, now the next... Uh, so the Sama, this is very practical, and you can work without seeking uh, reward do some selfless service the next is there are five disciplines mentioned that help to purify the mind and the first one is shaucha or cleanliness so in in shaucha it means to keep your yourself clean inside and out so it's recommended in the Shastra, believe it or not, to be tidy and neat and clean. Make your bed in the morning. You have to raise your hand, but you know who you are if you don't. It's the first thing you should do. No, really, make your bed. It, it's uh, In the military, they make you make your bed. And I guarantee you, in the Brahmacharya Ashram, you make your bed, too. Uh, so it, it's part of it's the start, it's the way you should live, neat and clean, a place for everything, everything in its place, an uncluttered environment from the inside. So remember that you're a container and your contents determine the contentment of your mind. So there's external clutter, which amounts to visual noise. If you have stuff you don't need and it's all piled up, then be sattvic and deal with it. Uh, Don't hold on to extra stuff. This is called atyahara. So you have to be careful uh, not to um, become a collector of things that you don't need. And also um, uh, thoughts that you don't need to. So you have to look on the internal environment and see what kind of thoughts am I holding on to unnecessarily. Are they something that I can do something about? This is one way to discriminate between thoughts you can hold on to and thoughts that you can let go. Are there thoughts that you can't do anything about that disturb you every day? That's a question. Can you give an example of something that you are vexed by? Thoughts that you're vexed by, but you can't do anything about them. In other words, there's a situation that you're concerned with and it keeps going around in your head and it takes a lot of your energy, but really you can't do anything about it. Oh, so, uh, I recently was into a little accident, so it short my car car insurance uh, every month premium. So I can't do anything about it, but it keeps on coming to my head. <laughs> What's done is done. Prabhupada used to use that mantra. Don't use it too much, but... <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. Uh, and there may be world situations too, political. Somebody might get into, um, you know, whether their sports team won or lost. Uh, what can you do about it? You're not playing. You know, somebody tripped and fell. It's like, what's it? Why is it a big deal to you? Uh, they tripped and fell, and they weren't able to kick the ball into the net. That that's not a big thing to hold on to and use up a lot of energy. So you have to be uh, discriminatory and and not overclutter your mind. So the next one is contentment is to actually practice uh, satisfaction. So that has to do with disinterest in accumulating more than one's immediate needs in life. And one of the the moods of or feelings of satisfaction is enough. I have enough. And if you can come to a point of feeling that, or practicing feeling I have enough. For instance, if the urge comes that I just need more stuff in order to become happy, well maybe you do. But first notice that if you're okay without it. And I'm not advocating penury, or becoming a Luddite, or uh, just being unnecessarily austere. Take what you need in your quota, but don't keep extra stuff and learn to be satisfied in yourself is one of the practices of of the mind, to be peaceful. Srimad Bhagavatam says, just as a deer, because of ignorance, cannot see the water within a well covered by grass, but runs after water elsewhere, the living entity covered by the material body does not see the happiness within him or herself, but runs after happiness in the material world. So we have a natural a sense of satisfaction when we're able to see who we are in our relationship with the Supreme. And you can be anywhere at any time and feel that satisfaction. So that's important a practice, to, to feel that and to notice it. Interestingly, another one is that uh, austerity, or uh, tapasya, or jagya. If, uh, this is called uh, tapodivyam. If you take some uh, effort which means that you have to get off the couch. That's effort, right? Uh, and you got to go over and do it, or even maybe a little further. Or you apply yourself to something. And it takes some of your energy, but it's for a, a, a divine cause. This is called tapasya. A little trouble to yourself for a divine cause. It makes your mind peaceful. This is called yagya. I, I skipped over one first, but I want to read it to you from the seventh canto. For a person who has suitable. Sh- shoes on his or her feet. There is no danger even when he or she walks on pebbles and thorns. For those people, everything is auspicious. Similarly, for one who is always self-satisfied, there is no distress. Indeed, he or she feels happiness everywhere. So with some of the austerities that are recommended, to tolerate the extremes in nature. Again, doesn't mean becoming a Luddite. You can get an air conditioner if you need one. But don't overreact to to all the changes in the environment in the world. And uh, Krishna says, learn to be steady and continue doing your duty, even if the environment changes a little bit. Be steady. Also, another austerity that he recommends is avoiding useless talk. And one of the ways I like to think about it is to analyze what I'm going to say before I say it. Don't say everything, I'm telling myself, don't say everything that comes to my mind, to your mind. Because not all of it's necessary. And if you wait a couple seconds and think, do I need to say this? Sometimes it just floats off and you go like, no, this is going to be a reaction. So it's something that Narada Muni recommended for not disturbing the mind and keeping the mind peaceful. He said that whatever you desire to describe that doesn't have a... Higher purpose. Simply disturbs your mind like a boat on the water that's blown around by the wind. So you can notice that. And then uh, the next one of the five is study of of, uh, spiritual wisdom and also japa. These both come under the category of svadhyaya, which means self-examination. So if you get a nice wicker chair, and you curl up with the Bhagavad Gita, and you read a chapter, will you feel better or worse about yourself and the world? Huh? Okay, that's good. (laughs) So do it. Just if if, if your mind's disturbed, or if you want to be preemptive and make sure your mind doesn't get disturbed, then find a wicker chair, and curl up in it and read the Bhagavad Gita, at least a chapter, and if or, or at least a couple of verses, something. And you can reflect on it. That's something that you can do for yourself to help purify the mind. And the other is japa. So in japa, we take the mantra, especially the Hare Krishna mantra, and we take time to repeat it and listen to the sound vibration. The sound is a. a Mentioned in the in the Shrimad Bhagavan, Iti yajite yag mat puman. It says if you want to have a direct access to the supreme and Feel what it's like to be in contact with the supreme right now Like a lot of people say can you show me God? Have you ever heard that? It's like where is he? Can you show him to me? Well, somebody might say uh, I'm very thirsty Can you give me a drink of water and then you say yeah? I'll give you a drink. It's in that cloud. Go help yourself. That's like saying, well, God's in heaven. And then someone else might say, well, yeah, you can get some water to drink. It's in a flash flood. That's like saying, wait for one of the avatars to appear in the world. Then you can go see him. And then somebody else might say, yeah, there's water. It's in the ground. There's aquifers under here. All you have to do is drill a hole with your bare hands. And then you get down there, and then you can pull some out and have a drink of water. That's like doing yoga and trying to see the super soul in your heart. But chanting the mantra is like water in the palm of your hand. You can do it any time. If you just pay attention for a few minutes and listen to the sound vibration, you'll notice that you have direct communion with God. So that's not so bad, right? Right. It's not bad at all. So when you do that, then you'll you'll learn a lot about yourself from reading the Bhagavad Gita and uh, chanting the names of the Supreme and just listening, because one of, one of the things we learn about ourselves is that we're part of the Supreme. And the word, we're, we thrive when we're in consonance with the Supreme. And that's one of the ways to feel that and to feel happy about life and to feel that actually everything's gonna be okay. That doesn't sound so bad, right? I try to get more reaction of everybody because I can't tell whether you're smiling or not when you have masks on, so. It's for my own edification. And the last is devotional service to the original conscious source. And when uh, we dedicate all our activities to Ishvara, the the Supreme Controller, then there's a natural way that the mind feels uh, controlled and peaceful and happy. So these are the five. The first one is cleanliness. Be clean inside and out, make your bed. Thank you. Uh, be uh, aware of the fact that there may be n- visual noise in your environment. S- clean up the clutter. Make sure the inside, the thoughts you're holding on to are entertaining that are going around like a ceiling fan. Uh, if, there's, if there's nothing you can do about them, then... Uh, you don't have to chase them so heavily, or if, if you need help, talk to somebody and process it so that you, know, you can gradually uh, develop a, a working relationship with those thoughts and learn how to balance them. I learned that from my father. He was a psychologist. Sometimes he had patients for like 10, 12 years. They'd meet regularly and just talk. And a lot of people, you know, it's very heavy and... Uh, That's heavy for everybody in the material world, but if you have somebody to talk to and you can just process things, then it can be very helpful. But don't just chase them around and around with no end in mind. Practice satisfaction, do austerity, tapasya, and study the wisdom literatures and chant Hare Krishna. And number four, I'm going to show you a little uh, slideshow. Fun, right? Yay, okay, here comes the slideshow. When I was in school, and they'd move they'd wheel in the they used to have kids they used to have projectors when I was a kid that actually had real film in them, and us kids would get so happy when the film would get wheeled in the room because then we didn't have to sit and listen to the teacher. You ready? I know you are I'm just seeing if the film crew is so. This is about non-application of the conglomerating process. There's a way in which we are existing in this world because of subtle desires. And we may have created a reality for ourselves in our minds through which we see the world that's very difficult to overcome. And what, what shall be the signal for you to move the slides? I'll say Govinda. When I say Govinda, oh, you're going to give me a clicker? Okay. So you see the broken plate up there while well, I'm waking, waiting for the clicker? Would you like a do-over for that? Well, you can have one now. I'm going to show you a little trick so you can reverse any mistakes you ever made in your life. Does that sound okay? Say yes. Yes. We, oh, boy, this looks complicated. Okay, what do I got to hit? Up and down? <laughs> See? If he can't figure it out, he's an engineer. What hope do I have? <laughs> Click That's down goes up? The down, goes to the next slide. Oh okay. <laughs> All right, here we go. You are pure consciousness. That's what you are. You're pure consciousness. You're uh a part of the Supreme Consciousness, just like there's photons emanating from the Sun. And they have the same quality as the Sun, only they're minute. And they're part of the Sun, but at the same time, they have individuality. So that's what all of us are. We're we're individual conscious entities. And originally, we're pure in consciousness. So knowledge means seeing the difference between yourself and your body. This is the definition of, the primary definition of knowledge, fundamental. And the next is, as Kumaila gets about to start, your tatasta, which means that you can choose to give your attention to lower or higher energies. Everyone say, I can choose, somebody bring uh, seats and take care of our guests, please. Give them uh, a, a nice place to sit back there so they can see or whatever they wish. Okay, thank you for coming. Good to see you. Everyone please say, I can choose to give my attention to lower or higher energies. That's a good affirmation. So that, that'll make all the difference in the world. And so yoga means reorienting your attention to the higher energies. When you learn to uh, reorient your... Power of your attention because where attention goes energy flows that's the way you're going to go in your life learn to reorient your attention to your higher energies your attention to your higher energies so your mind is called the chitta and it it's volatile which means it's subject to waves contractions and expansions and when the when we expose ourselves to uh, uh, material environments and thoughts and so forth the, the chitta contracts, and it feels very dark, and we feel uh, hopeless, depressed, and so forth. When the chitta expands and is full of light, then we feel happy. Happiness is called sukha. Ka means space, and su means good. So when you have good space in your head, like you're in a good space, are you in a good space? Then this is happiness. And dukkha means that you're in a bad space. So you have to create that space. And one of the ways to do it is through mantra because it purifies and stills the chitta, and it frees one from the entanglement with karma. Karma means that we're forced by our previous impressions that we have within our chitta or our mind to act in certain ways that we don't uh, necessarily even think about. We think we're making the choices, but we're being impelled by the, the thought process. So here's how the world manifests. Are you ready? I'm not convinced that you're ready. Yes. It manifests from subtle to gross. How does it manifest? Everything starts on a subtle level as a seed, a thought, a tiny little uh, entity, and then it expands from there under the right circumstances. So everything that you have manifested in your life now, it, it has expanded from a subtle level and is grossified. And creation takes place with sound, especially. It's the subtle element of creation. So the world is uh, designed to fulfill our desires. Did you know that? Does that make you happy or sad? Like, what what was I thinking? What did I desire? You express your desires with your voice. uh, And manifestation occurs by the subtle element of sound. So uh, there is a progressive way in which uh, desires um, move through our Apparatus called the human body which are defined in the the Srimad Bhagavatam and starts with the lowest chakra and that chakra is um, Right at the bottom of your spine. It's it generates a kind of vibration which is called bharavak like a desire and sort of agitates and it uh, starts to move up through the force of prana and it comes up to the next energy center in your body as uh, Pashanti Vak. Vak means a kind of uh, sound vibration. At first, it is unstruck sound. It's it's not something that's vibrating, that's hitting the uh, eardrum. And then it comes up higher as Madhyama Vak. When you get into your mind, you start to develop a vision of that desire, and you accept the vision through your intellect. And you say, yeah, this is a good idea. This happens practically uh, simultaneously. It's happening in... Uh, in, a, in a flash. And then vikari vikarivak means you vocalize it. You say, I want Cheetos. And like, no, you can't have them. They have all kinds of garbage in them. And so, the, so it manifests, desire manifests, it gets vocalized, it's vak. Voc. So how to reverse what you've, what you've created? You want one of these? I'm not convinced. You don't want it. You don't want that. Oh, yeah? Okay. An undo button you want, except you enact the creative process inversely. Just reverse it. So the way that's done through mantra, as a progressive progression of manifestation by speech, you go the opposite way. So when we start with the mantra, we're actually changing the vibration. We're vocalizing with the tongue and the tongue box a spiritual sound vibration. And the recognition takes place in your intellect when you hear it. So that's why you have to pay attention when you chant. And then uh, the conception arises in the mind of the mantra uh, because it actually is self-manifest uh, form of the Supreme. eva The <inaudible> uh, Krishna will manifest in your intellect when you uh, chant his name with service and you're paying attention, right? And then para, the desire that uh, disturbs the prana, uh, th- that will become uh, purified by the process. That's why Chaitanya Mahaprabhu said, "Cheto Dharpana Namarjanam. If you chant this mantra, these, this, the, the way it works, it will purify the mind through this inverse process of, of creating material things. You'll reverse it, and it'll, you'll, your whole life will be, become spiritualized. Om Tat Sat.